Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. My name is Amanda Alaberti, social worker at Adoptions from the Heart. We welcome you to our agency podcast, a platform to hear voices from all members of the adoption triad. We will be connecting with other organizations and professionals to collaborate about the services we offer our clients. We look forward to our audience learning more about adoption and the future growth of our community. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Heart podcast. Today, we are joined by two amazing guests in their own rights. Our first guest is Taylor Chenette, social media influencer and adoptee advocate. Taylor has been sharing her life as an international transracial adoptee on social media since 2019 and has grown her following to over 100K followers. Wow. Social media has led Taylor to a career in marketing and communications, working with a variety of clients in industries ranging from beauty, food and beverage, retail, and influencer marketing. Welcome, Taylor. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, so are we. We are also joined today by our very own Adoptions from the Heart, Nicole Fowler. Nicole is a supervisor of our Virginia office, a foster mother, and a leader of the agency's intersectionality course, which we use to educate our adoptive parents on the importance of dealing with privilege, classism, genderism, and inclusion. So welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I'm so excited to have you both here today. Taylor, just for our listeners, can you share a little bit about yourself? You are an adoptee, so maybe you can share with our listeners also where you were adopted from and at what age, just so they have an idea of a little bit about you. Absolutely. My name is Taylor and I am a Chinese adoptee. I was adopted when I was nine months old from Hunan in China, and I was adopted into a predominantly white family. So I am a transracial adoptee and I spent most of my life moving around the U.S., but really I call Memphis, Tennessee, my hometown. And so I'm wondering what made you start this this, uh, social media career and, and what was your goal when you decided to become an influencer? So I really didn't start out wanting to be an adoptee influencer. My, my first social media platform that I talked about adoption was a blog that I started. And I started that blog because one of my high school teachers actually encouraged me to start talking about my adoption. And this was after I had an incident with a different teacher about where he was an adoptive father and he expressed how he wished he never adopted and how it was the worst mistake of his life. And it was just really heavy to hear that as an adoptee and especially as someone who was struggling with my emotions towards my adoption. And so that really, that really encouraged me to start my own blog because I realized that adoptees weren't given the space they needed when it comes to adoption. And prior to the rise of social media, you really didn't hear adoptees using their voice. It was always the adoptive parents or the birth parents or the adoptive agency which didn't really have a personal connection to adoption. um, And they were the ones dictating the narrative. And so I started using my blog as a way to talk about adoption from my perspective. And then that grew onto TikTok and Instagram, but it originally started off with just a blog. 
first off, I'm so disappointed to hear about that teacher, um, you know, but thankful for the other teacher that encouraged you to go out there. I think that Nicole, maybe, you know, you could agree with me or, or talk more about this, but we definitely agree with your notion that the narrative has typically been ran by adoptive parents, foster parents, or social workers. And, you know, we are seeing a growing trend of even those populations seeking adoptees, you know, to share their experiences, because that information for us is so incredibly valuable. I certainly agree. I think social media has opened up that communication. We did like picnics back in the day before social media, but that it's such a small population of, you know, the school population that now adoptees have a a voice and being able to share their story. And I think especially with agencies, when we work with younger children too, it's, it's time goes by and, and communications are lost. So I think it's especially important for uh, domestic and international adoptees at birth and, you know, when they're children, being able to have access to other people who share their story, because there are people out there and everybody's going to have a different story. So being able to support each other is so great. Yeah. And, you know, Taylor, you're especially brave because not only are you coming to uh, agency support group or getting involved and in, you know, small scale, you have a hundred K followers. You're, you're out there in social media. Tell me a little bit about that. Did you anticipate that? And, and how is that currently? You know, honestly, I didn't anticipate gaining that many followers over such a short amount of time. When I first put my adoption story on TikTok, it blew up. And then I never realized how many people were interested in adoption, just in general, like someone who is not going to adopt themselves, but just wants to learn more. And then I also didn't realize the amount of people impacted by adoption, whether their sibling was adopted or their parents or just any part of their family tree was adopted. Um, so many people want to hear more about it and more about questions that they couldn't ask their family members or feel awkward or, you know, how do I approach this subject? And it's kind of surreal when I look at the amount of people that I'm able to reach and talk about my adoption. Um, and it, it's a good thing, but it's also almost scary in the way of I always have to say, this is my personal experience. I'm not talking for every adoptee. And, you know, you always have those haters that are going to comment like, well, that's not true. I don't believe that. And I'm like, you're right. That's okay. Everyone has a different opinion. Um, and I also think it's important to note that adoption has good and bad things about it. And a lot of adoptees, you know, they struggle communicating both the good and the bad. And so that's something I really try to do on my own channel to show that I did have a great adoption, but I still also struggle with X, Y, and Z, and that's okay. Like You don't have to be one specific type of an adoptee, and there's not one specific type of adoption. And so it's, yeah, it's surreal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned to us that you were adopted by, I believe, white parents. And so do you feel, or did you experience any difficulty with staying connected to your culture and heritage? And what was that experience like? Overall, my parents did offer me a lot of ways to connect with my culture. They did encourage it. Um, my, my extended family also encouraged it. We would celebrate my adoption day by getting, you know, cultural food and wearing cultural outfits and things like that. And then my parents actually moved over to China for me. Um, and they lived there for almost seven years to allow me to experience that culture. 
Um, but when they first moved over, I think it really opened my eyes to just how I, how much I felt that in between phase of where I'm an American, but I'm not white, but I'm not Chinese and I'm Chinese, but I'm not fully Chinese. And my first time in China, it was really struggling with my identity and kind of figuring out where do I belong? Because I hear one thing from one side and another from another. And then my parents are telling me they don't see color which is not accurate in the world we live in. So it, it was always um, kind of tiptoeing on the line of where do I belong? And that's something I'm still trying to figure out to this day. I appreciate you sharing your story so, so very much. And I'm just soaking it all in. I think it's extremely important to listen to adult adoptees. That's everybody's going to have a unique story, just like Taylor said. And it's interesting that you bring up the, the colorblind part. Can you share more about that? How you've had conversations with your parents about that since then? Yeah, we really started having conversations about that colorblind aspect um, really at the beginning of COVID and when all the anti-Asian hate was coming. You know, at the beginning of that, my parents were like, oh, it's okay, nothing's going to happen to you. And I kind of sat them down and, and said, I appreciate, you know, your, your concern, but you don't see me as another, you just see me as your daughter, but the world still sees me as an Asian woman. And if I were to go to certain cities like New York, I would feel that and I would feel that isolation. Um, and I think it's really important, and that's something I talk about on my channels, is that the colorblind approach to transracial adoption is not a great approach, and it's not realistic. And so many people, I get so much hate from it, saying like, oh, well, that means you're just against all transracial adoption. That means you're against. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm for the parent wanting what's best for the child, because at the end of the day, adoption is about what's best for the child and not what's best for you individually. It's about fulfilling that need for the child. And you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that don't want to adopt that are in my cultural group. And that's a reality that I think some people like to overlook. You know, they, they want to say, oh, it's easy. But when you look at statistics, like <laughs> there's not many Chinese people adopting as there are uh, predominantly white families adopting. And so I'm really passionate about speaking against the colorblind approach because when my parents first adopted, they said that's what the agency recommended. And now it's interesting that after research and, you know, hearing from adult adoptees who have experienced that, agencies are now saying, oh, wait, just kidding. That's not the right approach, which is good that it's growing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, even with social media, you know, we call them what social media trolls. And there's just like this high number of people who are just unwilling to understand. And then there's like, you know, even some people who are unwilling to be as open on the internet because of these, you know, what we call social media trolls. And so do you feel like it makes it harder for you to share your adoption traumas or be vulnerable with so many eyes on you? It does. And every time I record, I feel like I have to watch what I'm saying almost because I know someone's going to take it in the wrong way or someone's going to say, oh, well, you, you said this and that, you know, you're a hypocrite because you said this in another video. But I've also realized that people are going to be rude no matter what. You know, you could go out in real life and people are going to be rude. You could be rude on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You know, there's always going to be those haters and the best way to avoid them is just to not let their message sink in. And I've had trouble with that. I always have a reaction to something. And so sometimes people just really tick me off, but I have to remember at the end of the day, I don't know this person personally and I can just block and delete. <laughs> and that's the easiest, even though it's easier said than done. 
Um, that's just something I've had to learn as I grow my channel and grow my relationship with my followers. That's so similar to a lot of conversations I've had with other adoptees. At Adoptions from the Heart, we have very few clients who are prominent on social media like you, but you know, they share their stories and their journeys and their process about adoption. And then they have these people who come across their platforms and take the information and and start combating their experiences and their trauma. And so do you feel like social media has given voices to all members of the adoption triad? And do you feel like social media has been the avenue that has opened this door for all members of the adoption triad? And do you feel like there has been positive change in the community of adoption? Overall, yes. I feel like social media has given a voice to a lot of individuals who previously did not have the space to have that voice. You know, I have so many books about adoption and those are great, but writing a book is hard. There's so many processes and and money that goes into it, whereas social media, it's all free for the most part. And so everyone is able to sign up and, and use it. And I do think that overall, yes, it's encouraging every part of the adoption triad to use their voice. I would also argue that there is some issues with with that. I think that there are quite a few adoptive parents out there, unfortunately, still exploit their adoptees and their adoptees' stories and trauma for views, in which case social media is not great. And that isn't something they should be using that platform for. But on the other hand, I've been able to connect with so many different adoptees and all of these adoptees, we all have different opinions, but the fact that we're all adopted, we're able to connect and still find that common similarity. Um, And likewise, I've been able to connect with a lot of foster parents and a a lot of um, agency workers and foster kids and just all these different people that I've never been able to really hear their point of view. And one of the more impactful voices I'm hearing from are birth parents. You know, originally a lot of birth parents didn't want to share that they were, that they did that, you know, they had a lot of shame and guilt associated with it. And now they're using their voice and sharing their side, which is incredibly important with everything going on today. But I think as an adoptee, like that's kind of been a way of healing from hearing from other birth parents and hearing that as an adoptee, especially an international one, I've heard so many different stories about why my parents might've given me up. But hearing from a birth mother, just the amount of love that they still have for their adoptee speaks volume for me. And so when you were spending time in China, uh, you said your parents lived in China for seven years and I know you were there with them. And so um, did you did you do a search at that point in time or do you know who your birth family is? And can you share a little bit about that experience? Absolutely. So I did my search my very first time in China, which looking back, I wish I had waited um, just a little bit longer, maybe my second or third visit in China, because not only was I dealing with that identity crisis of where do I belong, who do I belong to, um, it was also the most amount of Chinese people I was ever exposed to. Like it was just so many factors played into it being overwhelming. Um, But I did do my birth parent search and started. I started probably back maybe two or three years before I actually started my search by doing a DNA test to kind of put put it out there, see if I have any biological family members. Um, and then when we went to China, we visited my province. We had three family friends come with us that are all Chinese. Um, 
and they helped us with the language barrier. And I was able to meet two different families that thought I was potentially theirs. One I did a DNA test with and it was not a match. And then the other last minute decided not to do a DNA test, um, which was really hard just because they were the ones who came forward to me. Um, and when we were looking through their old photos compared to mine, there were a lot of similarities. And it was a last minute thing where they said, oh wait, I, I don't think the dates matched up. Maybe we got it wrong, but I think maybe they, they just wanted to see if I was okay. So I don't know if they were my parents or if they weren't. I'm still actively looking. I still have DNA sites that I'm a part of. I have posters out in China, social media things. But I know for me, you know, a, a lot of adoptees are asking like, when did you decide to start your birth parent search? And for me, I decided to start around my college years because I don't know how old my birth parents are. And I didn't want to look back later in life when I'm 40 or 50 years old and find out I was too late. And so a lot of people ask me like, oh, well, how do you feel okay that you didn't find them? And it's like, yeah, that, that does hurt, but I'm just glad I tried because at the end of the day, I know that I did literally all that I could have done to find them. And, you know, maybe they saw one of my posts and now they know, and that's enough to satisfy them. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. We did do a podcast, I think in a previous season, maybe back towards the beginning where we talked about DNA testing and the avenues that that can open when you're searching for relatives and birth parents. And that's a very popular way for a lot of, I think, adoptees or even birth parents now are trying to get connected with their, with their loved ones who they lost connections with. And maybe it was because it was a closed adoption, which was common common or international many years ago. So do you feel that social media has given you more support in your identity as an adoptee, your search, or did you feel like you had that support already at home? I would say a mixture. Um, my family, my immediate and my extended family have always been super supportive about my adoption, about my search, about just about every facet about my adoption. So I never really felt like I was lacking. And I'm very thankful that I have that support system because some adoptees aren't able to experience the same thing. Um, but I will say it was incredibly um, reassuring when I started getting more adoptee followers and connecting with other adoptees and realizing that some of these feelings, I'm not alone. And it wasn't until I was much older in life that I read this one book about like adoption trauma. And it really opened my eyes to a lot of my behaviors as a child that, you know, my, my parents just thought I was, you know, troubled kid and I was having these just random behavioral issues. And we didn't realize until much later in life that that was all tied towards my adoption. And when I'm on my platforms, I'm able to connect with other adoptees who have gone through the same thing or had the same behaviors. And it's just like, wow. I really wasn't alone. I wasn't this like one-off, you know, bad adoptee kid. Like this is just something that was unavoidable almost. And so I think it, in some ways, yeah, it's really reassuring to know that there are so many other adoptees out there that are feeling the exact same way, whether they're using their voice or not. Um, it's just empowering to know I'm not alone. Yeah. And Nicole, I'd love to, you know, bring you into the conversation and with your experience as an adoption social worker, 
you know, what do you feel are some of the key principles and exposures adoptive parents should provide transracial adoptees? I think our, the goal is to instill confidence and identity as they grow older. So, so what are some key principles and exposures you feel that adoptive parents should provide? Sure. I think that adoptive parents have done a great job of, of being allies in the community, but I do think it's important to start advocating, asking and working towards equity rather than just equality, being active in your community and creating change and understanding when transracial adoption may not be for the best of a child. Just because you want to be a parent does not mean it is the best place for that child. And so learning to recognize these things and start making changes in your life before having a child. A lot of adoptive parents will say they're going to wait and, you know, do this during their waiting time, which is great to do this during your waiting time. But this is a before the home study process. This is, and it doesn't, I think it's important to remember that it, it doesn't matter what child comes in your home. You should have diversity in your home. You should be an advocate to every community in your community. And that should be the ultimate goal before even starting the adoption process. Yeah. And so our agency had an open adoption education course, which I want to go back and touch on a little bit too. But then we also have a transracial adoption education course that we have our families take. And now we have a new course called intersectionality. And so Nicole, can you talk a little bit about what the goal of when we created this course and and what we're using this course to educate families on? Sure. So intersectionality is the intersect section of all of our identities. This can include, but not limit, our socioeconomic status, our class, our race, our gender, our sexual orientation, geography. There are all sorts of different parts of our identity. And we want parents to know coming in, your child is going to have many different identities, just as we all do. We're all very unique, but then you add an adoptive child or foster child on top of that, and that creates a whole new part of some trauma, loss, and gains that come along with that. We want to celebrate all of our differences as well. It's not just a negative thing to look at everything, but to celebrate that as well and be able to incorporate that into our lives, explore our own identity before being able to understand anybody else. And understanding that a child's biological or birth family is going to have a different identity as well, just as we are all unique humans and being open to exploring that together. Yeah. And education, like Nicole said, it's so important that you start before you adopt and not after, which, you know, I think that was, was a lot of what we're seeing as an agency is phone calls of kids who are now teens or parents who are parents of teens. They're like, I need help. I don't know how to navigate this. And so it's really important that we start having these conversations and start this, this process prior to adopting that we know it's a lifelong journey and commitment to your child. It's super important. And we, it's funny because we tell our adoptive parents, if you don't live in the right community where there's exposure to your child's culture, then you should probably move. And I just think it's amazing that your parents supported you so much that they moved to China for seven years. I mean, that's incredible. And I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to, you know, have that experience and, and be there. I'm going to shift back a little bit to social media, and I just want to ask you, Taylor, as a social media influencer, what would you like to see more agencies posting on social media? That's a good question. I think the main thing is just representation from all facets of the adoption triangle. 
I think I would love to see just inclusion of all of that and the good and the bad. And that's something I speak on my channel is a lot of people go into adoption thinking it's going to be amazing. Or there's parents commenting on my videos saying, well, my adoptee doesn't feel this way. Like, right, your adoptee is five. Like, They're not going to understand those complex emotions and they're not going to fully understand until they're much older. And even then when they're older, it might not all sink in and that's okay. And I think it's just really important to listen to all sides of adoption, no matter if it's a different opinion than yours. You know, I have adoptees on TikTok who don't push for adoption and that's okay. Like that is their personal point of view. Um, and I have adoptees all for it. And it's just important to hear everyone's side because you never know who's listening. Yeah, Nicole, we have a handout at least, and we, we do touch on it at the Transracial Education course of ages and stages is what we call it. Because the truth is, is that as children and teens and adults, we are also growing, right? And so at different ages, we digest information differently, right? And so you almost have to be able to adapt as your child grows and as you grow as a person, because there are these different developmental stages that you should consider. And I feel like, and Nicole, you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I feel like sometimes families are looking for like a one-time answer, you know, they're like, tell me what to say when this happens, you know? And it's like, well, the age of your child is very important, you know, when we're considering this, you know, this is a lifelong journey and that we have to be adaptable and change as the child grows. Absolutely. Um, and your child, you're going to know your child more than anybody and their maturity level, but honesty is always important. If it's a difficult conversation, you're not ready to have, we will talk about this in the future. Your child is going to trust you the most out of anybody in the world. And if you're not providing them with these conversations and starting to talk about it, then that trust will be broken at a certain age or you wait till a certain age to start talking about adoption or transracial circumstances, then you're, it's not an open conversation to have with your child, but yes, it absolutely fluctuates throughout life and is going to change. And I think it's a great time to start practicing in the beginning, just as Taylor was sharing that there's people online who just say it's microaggressions, just say things that they just, everybody thinks that their story is everybody's. And that's just not always the case. Everybody is unique. As many people are online doing that, those people are in our families as well. Start having these conversations with your family to give them a reality of what birth parent is, adoptive parent is, child through adoption is. These conversations start educating yourself through educating your families because these are going to be the people also interacting with your child throughout their life. And your child is going to understand one day if you adopt a baby, they, they're not staying a baby. They're going to start hearing these things from your family. So start practicing those uh, conversations early. Yeah. And Taylor, I would, I would probably say that even someone who maybe disagrees with you now, I'd be interested to see in how they feel when they're at a different age and stage of their life. Right. You know, and th that's the good thing about social media is that these videos are out there and they stay there, you know, and so it, you know, it's an ongoing resource and maybe even a child who's not old enough on social media yet will see it one day in the future. And, you know, it could be beneficial, but with that being said, do you feel like there's a certain age range of followers that you tend to receive? or at least geared towards? 
my audience is primarily built up of females between the ages of 18 and 34. Um, and I do have those outliers, but I, I want to say the most amount of people that contact me are around my age, around like 18 slash to maybe 25. Um, those are the people sending me DMs with their personal adoption stories or questions. And then the people really consuming my content are between the ages of 18 and 34. And again, primarily female. That's great. And so tell us a little bit about your goal. So you're already at 100K followers, right? And it's only uh, 2022. So tell us where you see this going and what your dreams and goals are. Eventually, I would love to do this full time. I would love to do influencing slash adoption advocacy um, as a full-time career. Right now, that's just not possible and feasible, but I would love to see my channel continue to grow, and I would love to maybe start expanding on other platforms um, and maybe start doing interviews with different people and, and hearing their perspectives, and that's just some goals I have, but for right now, it's a fun part-time job almost. Yeah, I did see when I was going through your social media profile that, you know, you also are really into fashion and culinary and you collaborate with lots of retail companies. And so, you know, you're doing really great work and we're so thankful for you. And we're so thankful that you could be here today to share a little bit about your story and who you are. And also just being the brave one out there, you know, who's being vulnerable and strong and, you know, sharing that story for the adoptees, because especially for those adoptees who maybe don't have that safe space at home to talk about it, it's really important that they, you know, have uh, an outlet to, to, to understand a little bit more about themselves and learn about adoption. Um, it's just incredibly important. So we thank you so much for everything you do and uh, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me and for allowing me to talk about my platform and also just get to know your agency more. Um, I really loved hearing more information and just the amount of research and resources you have for everyone. Um, I think that's, that's really great and, and needed. Yeah. Thanks, Taylor. And thank you, Nicole, as well. And for all your hard work that you do, um, you know, with adoptive parents and preparing them and also working with birth mothers, giving them choices and making sure that, you know, that they're making the best plan for them. We really appreciate you, Nicole. And I thank you for being here as well. So much for having me. It was such a pleasure to hear um, Taylor's story. Taylor, for those listening who want to get involved and want to and want to start following you and seeing uh, you know all the great work that you do, can you please share with us how they can find you and on what platforms you're currently on? Absolutely. I'm currently on Instagram at Taylor Shanette, and then I'm also on TikTok at Taylor Raping Shen, which is a little difficult, so hopefully the spelling will be below. <laughs> Yeah, we'll put it in our in our chat for you. And um, any current projects or anything that you're working on that you would like our, our listeners to know about? Honestly, I'm not working on any projects right now. I'm just always creating content on TikToks. I try to post two to three times a day um, during the weekday. So follow me on social media to see any of my updates. Great. Thank you so much, Taylor. So, all right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Heart to Heart with Adoptions from the Hearts podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jenna, and I'm so grateful for our guests today, Taylor and Nicole, for joining us to discuss transracial adoption and how social media has influenced different voices in the adoption community. If you have not already, head over to our website at www.afth.org for more information on our services. Please check out our previous podcast episodes where you can discuss all things adoption education. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you.